Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Welcome to Mission. Pastor Adam welcomed you earlier. Appreciate him doing that. So uh, glad that you're with us. We're going to jump right into the series we started last week called Trust Issues. And one of the things that we started with, just kind of laying the foundation, is what, it, what does it mean to trust? If we're going to trust in something or if we're going to trust in someone, what does that mean? Uh, if we looked at it, and when we looked at the definition of trust, it's a reliance on the integrity, surety, ability of a person or a thing. Well, obviously, from a Christian standpoint, a biblical standpoint, our trust is not in a thing, it's in a person. And really trying to dig at what does it mean to really trust fully in the Lord who gave us life, but then also redeemed our life through Jesus? And that trust throughout the Bible is a call, it is a challenge, and it is a command. Because what God knows full well about you and I in our broken humanity is that we are always going to be tempted to place our trust in something other than him. And in the Old Testament, those were idols or what were called foreign gods. In, in our westernized or Americanized context, uh, we don't necessarily craft or build idols and, and have them in an in altar in our home, but we have idols. And we have those things that we are tempted to place more trust in than we do God himself. And oftentimes it's, it's something that is of this earth and it is something that we're not intended to put our trust in. And then just kind of as a quick recap that, that we looked at the three ways by which we evaluate the world. Um, and I wanted to highlight that in because it's so important in understanding the, the, the foundations of, of how we trust. And the first one is the mental, just our worldview, how we think about the world, how we react to what is happening in the world uh, around us. And all of us have a worldview. Uh, when you see what goes on in the world, you form a reaction based on that worldview. And, and your opinions and your thoughts and your ideologies uh, are very much shaped by the environments that you grew up in. Sometimes it was a negative influence and so you went a different direction. Sometimes it was a positive influence so you carried on uh, some of those worldviews, but hopefully uh, as a follower of Christ, your view, the way you think about the world, is also being shaped by the words of God himself. But then there's the emotional, just how we feel about things. Like there are certain things that happen around you that you it generates an emotional response out of you. Uh, we are emotional beings. We are emotional creatures. We can't, we're not intended to shut that off, but we're also not intended uh, to let that dictate everything that we know or think or believe. And if something uh, causes an anger response, sometimes we will lash out. If something breaks our heart, we are inclined to uh, step into action in light of that emotion. Um, so how we look at the world is shaped by the mental and the emotional. However, biblically, 
as followers of Christ, we should also be viewing the world through a spiritual lens because the Bible is very clear that we are spiritual beings and we don't really engage God spiritually until we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul writes that we are dead in our sins. Our souls, our, our spirits, if you will, are dead because of sin. So when Christ comes in, he, he brings life to dead places and brings us, brings life into the spiritual realm of life. Paul even says to the Colossian church, we ask, to, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, like, there, there, it's one thing to have earthly wisdom, but Paul's talking about spiritual wisdom. It's one thing to have worldly understanding, but it's spiritual understanding. Like, God doesn't operate or think in the ways that you and I think. He doesn't operate in the way the world uh, would think him to operate. And so Paul is encouraging us to develop and grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. So for the believer, trust is something that is forged in the spiritual first before it takes root in the mental and emotional. In other words, trust is not about willpower and it's not about your feelings. It's about having an active, vibrant relationship with a living God that is fostered and cultivated and that's where trust begins to take root. But oftentimes, in our humanity, even as followers of Christ, we get it completely backward. We let our ideologies or our worldview shape our opinion about something first, and that's where we stand. Or if we hear about something or we react to something emotionally, that emotional reaction must be the truth, and that's where we stand, and we don't waver from that, when in actuality it should be the spiritual that is influencing our mental and spiritual. Last week we talked about can you trust in the reality that you matter to God? Because if you don't believe you matter to God, your, your actions, the way that you live your life, will be greatly influenced by whether or not you believe you matter to God. And we were challenged by thinking about do we, do we take our cues on whether or not we matter from the world that is really good at compartmentalizing people, really good at excluding people, really good at disqualifying people for all kinds of reasons, or can you stand on the truth of what God's Word says that you matter to Him? That, that you are thought of more times than there are grains of sand. God has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows you intimately. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you believe and trust that you matter to God? And today we're going to talk about this question. Do you trust that God guides? Do you trust that God guides. Now, this, you don't need me to tell you this. This is a reality of life, is that life is full of choices. Every single day, we are confronted by thousands of choices. And, you know, sometimes that choice could just be really easy. Uh, uh, should I have caffeine or decaf coffee this morning? 
Like, do I want to, like, you know, jitter and, and jump and talk faster than a sewing machine, you know, or do I need to throttle it back and just not have the caffeine today? That's a choice, you know, and sometimes depending on if you're a really big coffee drinker, you reach that line that you have to say, okay, you know, I think I've had enough caffeine, you know? You're going to make a choice when you, some of you are going to make a choice where you're going to go eat when you leave here. And some of you are going to decide, do I want breakfast or do I want lunch? You know, I guess that depends on how long I go, <laughs> whether or not you make that decision. But, but, but we also can't underscore that we, are, we, are, we will be faced with very important life-altering decisions. Some of you in this room are single, and at some point, you may make a choice of who you are going to stand before God and take vows uh, in front of and say, I'm committing the rest of my life to you as my partner, as my spouse. That's a big choice, is it not? Some of you are facing career-altering decisions either by force or by choice, an opportunity has presented itself. And so you are looking at a decision that may radically alter uh, the time in which you spend and the energy in which you expend and what is expected of you. Uh, some of you in this room are going to be making a choice about where you may go to school and further your education, or maybe I don't want to go a, to a college. Maybe I want to learn a trade. I mean, we could, we could go to list after list of ways that we face decisions and choices every single day and some are much bigger than others. So the first thing is to really think about how you make decisions. Like how do you make your decisions? Because we all make decisions in a little bit of a different way and oftentimes the way we make decisions is shaped on how we're wired. Like just our, our personality, our personality traits, you know, again, our worldview. There's a lot of things that go into shaping how we make decisions. Uh, the first one is, are you someone who feels your decisions? Like, man, there's just something about this that doesn't feel right. Have you ever said that? Have you ever uttered that? You know, like you've been talking to somebody about a decision, and you're like, this just doesn't feel right. Like something in your gut just is like, I don't really know about. There's no other choice to make because you feel it that strong. Or are you one who thinks through a decision? Uh, some of you in this room are probably list makers and you're going to sit down with a sheet of paper and you're going to put the cons on one side of the page and the pros on the other side and you're going to try to weigh out the pros and cons and, you know, well, if I do this, then this may happen. If we decide this, this may happen. Some of you that are, that are married, you probably went through a financial pros and cons when you decided to buy the house that you're in now. Uh, because maybe it was a little bit of a stretch and maybe it was a big step and you just really needed to weigh it out. But one of the dangers of thinking through decisions is you can arrive at a place of paralysis by analysis. Like you've looked at the, all the facts and you've looked at them left and right, top to bottom, forward and backward, and it's just like, I don't know what to do. 
And, and so if you feel a certain way and, you're a friend, and, and, and your feelings bring fear or your uh, mind brings you to paralysis, then what do you do? This is where we need to ask the question, how many of you bring the spiritual into your decision-making process? How many of you make these decisions spiritually, not just emotionally or mentally? And this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but just because we have a functional or confessional belief in Jesus doesn't mean we let Jesus factor into our decision-making. I thought it'd be about that quiet. Jesus promises something in John chapter 14 that is real things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Depending on your translation of the Bible that you go to, that you're comfortable with, or maybe that was given to you, there are many different ways that the word advocate is translated. But let's go back to the Greek to try to get a little bit of an understanding of this word. Advocate comes from the Greek word paraclete, not a parakeet. You know, there's one, there's de details matter. There's an L wedged in there. A, a paraclete is that word. Because paraclete um, can also mean a counselor or helper or comforter. So again, depending on your translation, it may say counselor, it may say advocate, it may say helper, or it may say comforter. They're all right in that they trace back to this one word. But what's really interesting about the word is that paraclete is used only by the Apostle John. Paul never uses this word. This is a very uh, unique use of a word, and it only occurs in the Gospel of John in four or five places but then John uses it in his, in his letter called 1 John. He uses it so it comes back later. And so, you know, th this is not a word that we see outside of the unique gospel of John. Now, part of the understanding of that is that John's goal was to show the divinity of Jesus. That, yes, Jesus was the Son of God in the flesh you know, clothed in flesh, sent to earth by the Father in heaven, but yet John wanted to show the divinity, the, 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 the divine side of Jesus. And so there are certain ways that John frames the teaching of Jesus to point to that. So when Jesus said, when I go away, the Father's going to send an advocate or a helper, it's this, it's this promise of what's coming in the Holy Spirit. So one way that we could describe the Holy Spirit is one who is called alongside to help. 
called alongside to help. Because look, the Holy Spirit is one of the great mysteries of the Godhead. When we talk about that word, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most mysterious of the three. There have been books and volumes written about how the Spirit works and, and how we foster uh, you know, more of the Spirit's work in our life and in our churches and in our ministries, how we can quench the Holy Spirit and not give the Holy Spirit room to operate and to work. So there's been great volumes of work done on attempting to understand uh, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But a really good understanding is that the Holy Spirit is one called alongside to help. Called alongside to help. How many of you, when you're doing a project... And you say, hey, I need some help over here. And maybe it's holding the ladder because the ladder is not real steady. You know, maybe it's holding something in place because God didn't give us three hands. He only gave us two. And you're trying to hold the screw and hold the drill in, in the other hand. And you, you don't have another appendage to use. So you call somebody alongside to help. You know, that's, that's the image that, that, that John is, is, is trying to convey through the words of Jesus is that the Spirit is a helper. The Spirit comes alongside. As soon as you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. And then ever since, you have had a helper a counselor, a comforter, a advocate, depending on which, again, translation you have. So real quickly, how does the Holy Spirit come alongside to help? Well, the first one is that the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit empowers. And what that Spirit does is the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of ministry in the local church. And so whenever you have, have taken a step of faith and you said, okay, God, I'll go on that mission trip, and I don't know what I'm getting myself into, and I've never been on one before, and you touch down and you get to wherever that place is, and your eyes are opened for the first time to just a certain level of brokenness and poverty, you needed some empowering. Because when you see just how powerless you really are in certain situations, there becomes an, a, a dependency and a desperation for some kind of empowering. I'll never forget as a 23-year-old college student, yes, I said 23 because I crammed four years into four and a half, leave me alone. <laughs> And, and I was with this evangelism team, and, and we were going to do a Sunday night worship service in a youth state detention center. And it was like real close to maximum security level. Oh, yeah, we're going to go in and do this worship service. I'm like, Burr? I've never been in such a setting. They asked me to do the message that night. I prayed hard. I prayed hard. 
And here's where it started. God, what do I have to say to these teenagers that are locked up for very serious things? God, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. That is one of the most, that is one of the most pivotal times in my young life that I experienced an empowering of the Holy Spirit. I can't even remember what I said. It doesn't really matter what I said. What we all remember is that God moved mightily in that, in that room that night. But it wasn't because of my efforts. It wasn't because of my intelligence. It wasn't because of anything that I did. It was because the Spirit empowered and sometimes when we don't think that we're doing any good and we're not, uh, we're not making a dent and maybe our efforts, uh, maybe sometimes we need to take a step back and go, God, are you blessing these efforts? Am I relying enough on you? Am I depending enough on you and the, and the power and empowering of your spirit to do this work that you've asked me to do? But then the Spirit advocates. One of the things that Paul alludes to in his writing is that the Spirit advocates for us uh, to the Father in heaven. And so when we call out to God and, conf and, and confess our sin, the Spirit advocates for us to the Father. And, and there is... Um, there are terms that are used in certain legal settings, and maybe it's not a lawyer, but it's an advocate, somebody that advocates on your behalf to the government, to the authorities, to the court, to, you know, wherever that may be. We, we are all going to find ourselves, and at times in our lives, we need somebody to advocate on our behalf. I know this person. I know their qualifications. I know their character. I know their ability. I know what they've been through. I don't have any hesitation advocating for this person. That's what the Spirit does on our behalf to the Father in heaven, which is really, really awesome to think about. Because when we're dead in our sin and we have no ability to get to God, we have nothing to stand on in front of a holy God but the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when we do that, the Spirit then advocates before the Father on our behalf. But then we are promised that the Holy Spirit guides our lives. The whole, bless you. The Holy Spirit guides our lives. I'm sorry if that embarrassed you. I didn't mean for it to. I don't even know who it was. I just heard a sneeze. But the Holy Spirit guides. We are promised a God. And there are, aren't there going to be times that we're going to need guidance? We're going to need uh, something or someone to guide our steps, to guide our decisions, to, to guide what reactions or actions that we take in so many different circumstances and situations in our lives? And so if, if we take what Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit is an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, uh, a helper, then how do we experience the guidance of our advocate? Okay, I'm going to say this again. As a Christian, life isn't just about what we think or how we feel. Now it's also about our spirit. 
And so if we're going to experience the guidance of that advocate, there are some things that we need to put into practice in order to experience the guidance of that Holy Spirit. The first thing that we need to do is to seek, is to seek. What does it mean to seek something out? It shows intentionality, doesn't it? Like if I'm going to seek something out, like I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to know about it. I'm going to want to garner, uh, garner knowledge about it. I want to learn about it. You know, if I am after something, I'm intentional about going after it. Uh, some of you, like, if you have a project that, that I, I keep coming back to projects, I guess, because, you know, we all have punch lists of things that we need to get done. And I can remember one of the things I had to do was to um, change the, the rubber gasket in the tank of the toilet. And you, you, you look at it and you're like, well, it couldn't be that hard. And then you wrestle with it for 25 minutes and 37 seconds. And, and before you start to use language that has to be bleeped out, you go to YouTube, right? And once I sought out somebody else's knowledge through YouTube, it was a quick and easy fix. I didn't have the knowledge to do that simple little exchange of a gasket, so I had to seek out somebody else's knowledge, somebody else's expertise. Now, a lot of times what you and I do when we have decisions to make is we go to friends, we go to family, we go to our parents, you know, like we go to people that we know and we go to people that we trust or that we rely on. Or we know that will give us good feedback that don't necessarily are, are going to judge us or come down harshly upon us. You know, do you have a few people like that? And oftentimes what we do is we seek the opinion of others. We don't seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on asking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Do you take that kind of approach when you're needing guidance on, a, on, a, on, a, on an important decision? Like, do you just say, God, I'm going to keep bringing this to you until I sense you leading me a certain direction? Uh, Christ, I'm going to bring this to you. Often what we do is say, God, what do I need to do? Oh, no answer. Okay. And we move on. Like, there's, there's not this, this willingness to just kind of sit in this attitude of seeking and asking and knocking. Jesus says, if we keep on knocking, the, the door will be open. And there's a lot of things Jesus is talking about, about the power of the kingdom and asking that God would do things in us and through us that foster the bringing of the kingdom. But the application into our spiritual life has many wrinkles to it. And if we're not going to seek out the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if we're not going to seek out the, 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 the power of the advocate, the counselor, the helper, we're not going to experience spiritual guidance. Because a lot of times we engage our feelings, we engage our mind, we engage our friends, and then we make our decision. 
But Jesus says we need to seek, ask, and knock. And then the second thing we need to do, if we're really going to lean into this advocate, is that we need to wait. Like, if the decision is not critical, if you don't have to make it right now, then don't. Wait and see what the Lord reveals. Wait and see what the Spirit may lead or may say to you. Uh, Psalm 5, 2 and 3. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Now, I realize there are going to be times we have to make quick decisions. I realize certain circumstances warrant that. So I'm not going to say, you know, well, the pastor said wait, so I better wait. No, 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 no. Sometimes you got to make quick decisions. But how do, you, how do you really lean into seeking? How do you really lean in and, 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 and make a decision that may be having to be made a little quicker? But if you don't have to, wait. Just wait expectantly for the Lord to reveal something. Because one of the, there are several ways that the Lord chooses to speak through us. And if we're waiting expectantly, the Holy Spirit has this amazing ability to open our ears and our eyes to things we would never see and hear otherwise. And, and we call that like hearing with spiritual ears and seeing with spiritual eyes. But if we're not waiting expectantly on Him, we're going to miss those opportunities for our spiritual ears to hear and our spiritual eyes to see. And so what may happen is a unplanned or what some people would consider a chance encounter leads to a conversation that somebody says something and because you're waiting expectantly on the Lord, you hear something in that conversation and you walk away going, wow, I think I just got my answer. I think the Lord just revealed something to me. If we're not waiting expectantly, then that conversation happens and nothing is really, nothing is really heard on a spiritual level. So seek, wait, and then listen. Listen. I, I know this is going to surprise some of you. I am a very verbal person. And there, are, there have been many times in my life, more times than I would even want to count, that I have, had, that I have spoken and spoken too quickly. That I haven't listened well enough to what others were trying to say around me. That I have, I have engaged my mouth before engaging my mind. I know the taste of every shoe in my closet. I do. Some of them taste better than others. But one of the important things about seeking the Lord and waiting is that we listen for his voice. Listen again to what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Okay, so Jesus says, look, if you don't belong to God, you're not able to listen. But if you do belong to God, then listening is a part of what you do. 
Listening is a part of our relationship with him. Listening is a part of being uh, a, a follower of Christ, is that we listen to what he has to say. There are times if you're waiting expectantly for the Lord to give you guidance, you're going to hear a sermon very differently than if you're just in here ticking off the church box. You're going to hear something out of the Word of God very differently than if you didn't have this attitude of seeking and waiting. You're going to sit in a Bible study and somebody's going to reference something that's going to, that, that God is going to use to spark something in your, in your spirit that is exactly what you need to hear. You will hear a song on the radio in a very different way. When you're seeking and waiting, it fosters listening. How many of you as parents, one of the most frustrating things as a parent is when you try to give your child some advice and they do the exact opposite? Well, you know, I told you about that. You know, we talked about that. You know, you know and it just sometimes you just, you know, it just it drives you batty that it's like, you know, don't you think God probably does the same with us? Well, I've given you guidance in my word. I've given you tons of wisdom in my word. I've, I've made my way plain to you through my word. And we're just looking at every shiny little thing that comes along and we're not really listening. So when we seek the Lord, we wait on him, we listen to what he has to say, then we follow. Then we make that decision. Then we go in the direction that he is leading us. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatian church. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's lead in some parts of our lives. Nope. Every part of your life. Every part of our lives. There are certain areas of your life that you're going to hang on to harder than others. You're not going to want to relinquish control. You're not going to want to give up the reins of something. But part of being a follower is there's going to come a point in your relationship with Christ that he's going to say, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. If, if you're going to follow me and trust me, then you got to give me this. And one of the hardest things to do is to follow something that we may not see the clearest of pictures and we may not understand the reasons why God is leading us in a certain way. Because if you're a logical thinker and it doesn't follow the pattern of your logic, trust is a real hard thing. And if your heart's telling you one thing and the Spirit is leading you in a different direction, that's a very hard move to make. But that's how we know we are trusting that the Spirit guides. Is that I'm willing to follow where He's leading me even though I don't understand it. I'm willing to follow what He has said even though it doesn't make rational sense to me. I'm going to follow what He says even though my heart says something completely opposite. And one of the things that will always be a part of our willingness to trust is do you believe God has your best interest at heart? 
Because if, if you really believe that he has your best interest, trust gets easier. Taking that step and following where he leads gets a little bit easier because uh, when we've seen God lead and we've seen the best happen, then trust gets easier. And, and what I want to contend as, as we work toward closing is that we say we have a trust that God leads and, and, and guides, but functionally we don't put it into practice. And there could be some really great opportunities for God to show you his power, his wisdom, and his sufficiency in all things. But you got to trust. You got to trust. You got to trust that He is guiding you in directions that are ultimately best, that are ultimately good. Not easy, not a cakewalk, but good and best. So, what are you facing today? What, what decisions are, are you faced with as you sit here today? Are they life-altering decisions? Have you sought the Lord? Have you waited on Him? Are you listening for Him to speak? And when He does, are you willing to follow? The guidance of God is a huge trust issue. But it's one that doesn't have to be an issue if we're willing to follow his guide. Because he promises it. And he does it when we seek him out above every other voice. Now, the last thing I'll say is this. There are people God places in our lives that gives us wise and good counsel. I'm not saying don't go to people. But who is the ultimate voice that you will listen to? That is a huge question for you and only you to answer. Let's pray. I want to give you just a few moments to think on what decisions you're facing. What criteria are you making those decisions? Are you struggling emotionally? Are you struggling with logic? Are you struggling with reason? Maybe you're at a dead end of what decision to make because you haven't brought the spiritual into the equation. You haven't let the spirit guide or even speak or even lead. You've been trying to make this decision solely on your own. And we have a helper. We don't have to do it alone. That's the beauty of this. But it's also the tragedy of this as we live as if we have to do these things on our own when we've been promised a helper. So maybe for some of you, you start seeking him right now. I want to give you some moments to pray and then I'm going to close.
Thank you, oh God, for your goodness, for your presence, for your promise that we have somebody that is alongside to help. God, forgive us when we live as if you don't exist, live as if you don't care, live as if you don't, God. Lord, I know many of us in this room could give stories of how we went our own way and it cost us greatly. But when we followed you, Your hand led us in right and good and true directions. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling. I pray your spirit would give them comfort and confidence that you have their best intentions in mind. Father, that our lives would reflect a guidance of your spirit in the way that we engage a lost and broken world, in the way that we show compassion to those that are on the margins or on the fringe, and Lord, the way we forgive each other in your church. What a testament forgiveness could show the world when we allow you to work in our hearts and in our midst. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.